Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring Front Page 305. All right, we're back. Welcome to Front Page 305. This is your host, Walt Perino. I'm joined today by the OG of this show, Manny Navarro, the athletic. The man created this show, and then he dipped on us, but he's back. He's covering for Andre Fernandez, who abandoned me this week. But thanks for coming on with me, Navarro. Hey, thanks for having me on, uh, Walt V. You've done a great job taking over. You've got great guests every single week, and uh, I, I, I'm happy to see this thing continue. Well, today in our second, speaking of guests, second segment, we're going to have Howard Balzer, who's a national, well-known NFL writer. We're going to talk about the NFL. And the third, not that I'm not looking forward to Howard, because I am, but the third guest has got to be my favorite, and that's I've got the only one that's booked a mailman slash sports writer in the whole country, and that's Paul Dreffy, and he's got a ton of funny stories and i'm looking forward to that uh, but i also want to say first of all shout out to joe who uh, does a little intro welcome to miami out there in brasilia and shout out to my producer frankie fernandez last week i had him pick the songs and he played three songs i have no idea still what they are so back control of that this week navarro and i played that song get your roll on and there's a story to that song as you know of course we were driving home uh, a carpooling uh, from a Miami Heat game because I'm too cheap to uh, pay the $20 in parking. So I carpooled with you as I did on many of occasion. And on the way back, it must have been after we're done around one in the morning, and we're and that song, you put it on, get your roll on, and we are like yelling, singing this song. It's such an awesome song. Yes. And the dirt version. And in the middle of that, what happened, Navarro? My wife calls. The wife calls, and you have a funny ringtone for her. It's like it's the police. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And I'm wow, we both laughed and we said Joanna must have known we were having too much fun and uh <laughs> that just would not stand. Right. But my favorite line in that sh- in that uh, song is what's your bank about brother I've lost count. I mean, do you have that same problem Navarro where you 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 have so much money you even know how to count it anymore? Really? I mean, that's that's what uh, you know, I heard that song many years ago and I said, this is my life's mission just to get to to be like these dudes, uh, get my role on 24 seven. And uh, it hasn't it hasn't happened yet, but uh, we're working there. Well, let's talk Hurricanes football, because that's, uh, you know, nobody knows it better than you. Manny Navarro from The Athletic covers the Hurricanes and does a great job over there. Um, Manny, let's let's specifically get into. You know, usually that first Wednesday in February, you and I grew up at the Miami Herald and covering, um, you know, high school football and college football recruiting. The first Wednesday in February was huge. I mean, it's like Christmas morning. Who did the Hurricanes get? How did the competition, how did the the Gators do? How did the Seminoles do? All that kind of stuff. Now with the advent of the December signing period, Miami has, I believe, all 24 scholars that they had available uh, locked up. But I guess they could always sign a guy and charge him to next year's class. Do you foresee them coming up with another player or two? I don't. I think, you know, they're pretty much done. The The three transfers that took up that last scholarship uh, are all guys who are in this spring, um, as well as nine early enrollees. And so I feel like there's so much roster depth that at this point, if you're Manny Diaz, not knowing what the NCAA is going to do ultimately, here in in the year in the next year which is you know do they allow you to sign more than 25 in the future you know do they let you go above 85 all those issues i guess are going to be discussed here in the in the weeks and months ahead um i think if you're manny diaz you reach your limit 
and you've got so many returning experienced starters and so many guys who have played that there's really no reason to stash unless that guy is really, really special. And I, and I think the majority of the transfers left aren't guys that are very special. They're kind of guys that just didn't have much success going to the schools that they want to. So I think unless some remark, supremely, supremely super talent comes along, I think, you know, they're, they're pretty much done. Well, my next question, uh, I took a suggestion from one of my buddies, Bill Whitehead, who's also, he watches a, a ton of football and a lot of Tennessee Volunteers football. So he's seen a good amount of DeAndre Johnson. He's pretty excited to have him in the fold here with Miami. But DeAndre has played linebacker and defensive end. Seems to me defensive end, they actually, if you count Greg Rousseau, they had three stars leave at that position. Is that where you uh, see him playing? Could they also use him at linebacker? What are your thoughts and what have you heard about how they're going to employ DeAndre? Yeah, they, they brought him in just to play defensive end. I mean, that's a position that ultimately uh, he can play. And I think the linebacker spot, as much as that was a need, I don't think he's really a natural uh, linebacker. He's more of an edge rusher. And so they brought him in to, you know, sort of raise the age limit in that room. You know, of course, they're going to have Zach McLeod back. Uh, he's a guy who played defensive end in the bowl game, but was a linebacker his entire career. But the fact that he's a sixth year senior is somebody else who they can sort of count on to be a loud veteran voice in that room. So I think that was the primary goal of, of getting a guy like DeAndre Johnson, somebody who can be on the field, who could potentially be a starter opposite a guy like Jafari uh, Harvey, who's going to be a junior. And, um, you know, just to provide some experience at that position. Do you see McLeod sticking at the event or going back to linebacker? He really had a kind of a disappointing year in, in 2020. No, I think all, this is all about playing defensive end for him. I mean, I think, you know, we kind of saw the limitations that he has at linebacker in terms of, uh, you know, being the kind of player who can play at the next level, playing that position. I think what buys him an opportunity to play in the NFL now is, well, can you, can you get bigger? Can you play defensive end? And can you be a really good sort of run defender and, and, you know, pass rusher? Um, I think that's what's going to happen with him and we'll see, we'll see how good he really is, but yeah, you're right. It was a disappointing year for him at, at linebacker for sure. Also speaking of the linebackers, Brooks and especially Huff out of Aquinas, when they came out, Huff had incredible speed. Um, Brooks was hyped up and it seemed like um, they got passed by, by uh, the kid flag who looked really good. Number 11. I like him. Um, mm -hmm. Is there still hope that Brooks and Huff can, can sort of uh, regenerate that promise that they had shown on the high school level and Brooks had some game time with Miami. What, what, what do you foresee happening at those two linebacker spots? Well, I think, you know, Bradley Jennings Jr. Who, who started 11 games for Miami last year, didn't have a great year statistically. He just, there were a lot of bad performances, you know, individually. Right. And I think Corey flag is sort of penciled in as, the guy going into this spring camp, which by the way, begins, I think the second week in March, um, he's going to be probably the starting middle linebacker next year, Corey Flagg. So yes. that leaves Brooks Jr. and Huff and, you know, Tyreek Austin Cave to sort of battle it out, I think, at the weak side linebacker spot. Another guy who's coming in to play linebacker is uh, Deshaun Troutman. He's actually in, he's among the nine kids that early enrolled, the high school kids. Um, and he'll have an opportunity to to get a lot of good experience in the spring at middle linebacker. Yeah, and then the newly demoted uh, Blake Baker, I mean, he's in charge solely now of the linebackers, correct? 
Uh, well, no, he, he's still technically the defensive coordinator. It's just Manny Diaz is calling the plays on game day. But there's a lot of other things besides calling plays that a defensive coordinator has to do, which is, you know, scripting the, the defensive uh, game plan for the week, uh, you know, leading the meetings, um, those kind of things. And, you know, Manny Diaz, in addition to obviously calling the plays on, on game day, he's also still going to have to be the head coach. So I think, you know, for now, Blake Baker is is handling both of those duties. But there are reports this morning, uh, at least from 247 Sports, uh, on the LSU side, that LSU is considering hiring Blake Baker to be its linebackers coach. So we'll see if that uh, is true. But that's the, that's the we're out there right now. Wow, you just threw a big, big old juicy bone out there. Wow. And so what would Miami would have to do just a, a national search if that were to happen to get a linebackers coach or is there somebody sort of natural to, to plug in? Well, I mean, I guess it all depends on what Manny Diaz wants to do. You know, obviously he's coached linebackers in the past, so he could go back to coaching linebackers uh, and calling the plays. But I would imagine, you know, there's plenty of guys. I mean, what if Ed Reed all of a sudden says, hey, I want to coach or, uh, you know, somebody else on the staff that, you know, uh, Coach Stroud, who just went back into an administrative role. There's there's guys there that I think they could always turn to in, in, in case they wanted to, um, you know, make life easy on them. But we'll see. I, and I don't know for sure that Blake Baker is going. This is a report from the people right. in Indiana. You know, nobody here locally has uh, reported that at all. I get you. Well, one of the things, Manny, I like about this class is all three of those transfers are already enrolled. That's DeAndre Johnson, the defensive end. You got wide receiver Charleston Rambo from Oklahoma. And then the corner, Tyreek Stevenson from Georgia, should start immediately. There's no doubt. At least two of those guys, Charleston Rambo, I'm not sure immediate starter or not. It's going to be a lot of competition at wide receiver. And then on the early enrollees, you said nine. I read somewhere there's 11. You would know more than I. Um, mm -hmm. But what I really like about that is the guys you really want to be eligible this spring by and large are the guys that need timing and the guys that really might have a chance uh, for legitimate roles. Uh, the QB Jake Garcia is going to be uh, battling Van Dyke for the, you know, and, and Matocha for the, uh, the second quarterback spot. And then all three receivers, that's Brashard Smith, Romello Brinson and Jacoby George and the tight end Elijah Arroyo. And even the kicker, Andres Borregales is going to go in and face a college rush in scrimmages and whatnot. So I like the fact that those guys, Manny, would you agree, in key spots are going to be – those would be the guys I would think that have the best chance to compete for spots. I mean, Borregales has a spot, but the other guys right away, would you agree? Well, I think, you know, you look at tight end position and what you're losing in Brevin Jordan. Um, you know, Miami ran a lot of two tight end sets uh, in this past season, in Red Lashley's first season as coordinator, where you had Mallory and Brevin Jordan out there together. And I think that's a dynamic that, that can make Miami's offense really tough to stop. Um, you know, there's not a lot of teams that can have, that have multiple linebackers who can cover or safeties that they can commit to covering a tight end. And so, um, you know, I think a guy like Elijah Arroyo coming in early into spring, getting an opportunity to uh, work out and, you know, get his body to a collegiate level. Because it's one thing to, you know, come in and have the talent and the speed and the wherewithal, but it's another thing to to put on the weight and to have those years of uh, that, that full spring to, to train under the watchful eye of Miami's training staff. I think that's going to be really important. So I think that's that's really, really good. And then as far as the receiver position, the only one I know for sure is getting in is Romello Brinson. 
Um, and there's 12 scholarship receivers. So we'll see, you know, ultimately who, who pans out. But I think Charleston Rambo right now, I think, I think he automatically comes in as Miami's number one outside threat. You know, Mike Harley plays in the slot. He's going to catch a lot of passes. But ultimately, the reason Miami went out and got Rambo was because they wanted to replace Mark Pope and D. Wiggins, who were, uh, I would say, ineffective, you know, to be nice. And I think... You know, Rambo's the kind of guy who can be a deep threat. He's played at the college football playoff a couple of years ago with Oklahoma. Um, and he's got experience and, and he's been productive in his career. So I think, you know, right off the bat, he comes in and he starts next to uh, Harley. And then it's sort of who's that third receiver. Is it D. Wiggins? Is it Mark Pope? Is it one of the younger guys? Uh, Keyshawn. We'll see. Keyshawn's my guy. Keyshawn. Yeah, I think Keyshawn Smith is is certainly a guy, you know, people identify and say right off the bat, you know, he's a guy who could be a deep threat. I think Jeremiah Payton is another uh, good one as a candidate. Um, you know, he was their top recruit two years ago. And, and he's kind of Yeah, but he's kind of dealt with the COVID thing and, you know, was missing part of uh, time with injury. I mean, all, all of these guys have excuses. Uh, the guys in my mind who don't have excuses are Pope and Wiggins. They've been here four years. Uh, to me, they should be playing at an elite level by now and they're not by the way i've been watching the canes uh a great majority of my life and i was spectacularly wrong when we did our one of our first shows as worship was going to have a big freshman year so don't listen to me but i'm going to ask you which which of those receivers which of the fre true freshman receivers i like i really like Rashard smith i'm gonna gonna put the uh the jinx on him i like what mm -hmm. i seen of that young man um and which of which of the we already mentioned Keyshawn, but like the, the guys at any position that have a year under their belt, those the freshman class of 2020, we know the two running backs did well, but who else is going to, so I guess two-part question, Navarro, which, which of the freshman receivers and which players in general from the class of 2020 are going to take a big step? Yeah, I mean, I think either Keyshawn Smith or Michael Ray had opportunities at, at receivers in terms of second-year guys. I think a guy like Jalen Rivers on the offensive line, I know that Miami's experienced and deep there, but I thought the guard play was really poor last year. I thought Zion Nelson and Jared yeah. Williams were solid at tackle, but I thought the guard play, the center play was not great. And so I think, you know, a guy like Jalen Rivers, who has a lot of talent, is going to come in and compete. Yeah. And then, of course, um, on the defensive side, I mean, Corey Flagg could be your leading tackler. I mean, he's a second-year guy. If he's your starting middle linebacker and he's as good as the coaches hope, um, you know, I think he's a guy that could, could, could have a huge impact in his second year. And then, you know, you're looking at some other guys like Chance Williams and Quentin Williams, um, second year defensive ends, you know, depending on how Zach McLeod plays, how DeAndre Johnson plays, uh, you know, if those guys aren't very effective, I think Chance Williams and Quentin Williams could come in and, and be guys that play a lot in that rotation. And then um, at corner, you know, I think, we don't know what the situation with Al Blades. We hope that his career continues, right? But he has that myocarditis situation. Um, I think you can see a guy like Isaiah Dunson or, or Marcus Clark step in at cornerback and, and see significant time. So to me, those are all guys that I identify right off the bat as as potential to, to having an actual impact in 21. I'm glad you mentioned Al Blades' uh, illness because how badly would I have butchered that, Navarro, if I tried to say what his illness was? I'm not even going to attempt it. It would have been really bad. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Jalen Rivers. I think that guy, we need him to be just an absolute Um, You know, I, I like the tape I've seen of him and getting out and like being pulling guard and just destroying people, mashing people. It'd be nice to see. Uh, we're coming up against a break. So let's end this Hurricanes talk with one more for you, Navarro. I guess if you big picture on the team, what we know of it so far, 
Give me a team strength and, and a team weakness. Well, I, I think without question, the two, the two biggest question marks or weaknesses at this moment are linebacker and I would say the deep receiver threat, right? We, we need to see guys prove that they, that they have those two elements. Um, and I think in terms of strength, I would say without question, it's quarterback and, and Derek King and the two young arms that they have. I think they've solidified that position here for years to come. Um, and, and I would also say running back. I think running back is a position with, with both those guys, Don Chaney Jr. and Jalen Knighton, and uh, even the kid that they signed in this last class um, from, from Hollywood Chaminade, um, Thad Franklin. I think, you know, they've got, they've got the kind of talent that you need to be a lead at that position again. So um, I think those are the strengths. All right, we'll be back to talk about the NFL right after this. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Yo, this is K9, and you're listening to Slam Radio Sirius XM 145. And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. We're back to front page 305. This is Walter Villa, your host, and I'm here with Manny Navarro of The Athletic. And I'm joined now by Howard Balzer, longtime NFL writer, formerly the Sporting News. Now he covers the Arizona Cardinals for SportsIllustrated.com. And Howard, welcome to the front page. Howard, are you with us? Yes. Can you can't hear me? I can, can hear you now. now. <laughs> All right, How are you doing? <laughs> song from the Eagles. Take well, it easy because well. that line Winslow, Arizona. That's just for you, man. Yeah, I, I like that intro. Uh, I haven't been to Winslow yet, but uh, one of these days we'll uh, probably make my way there at least just to see what it's all about. Where is Win? Have you? How far is it from where you live? I have no idea where Winslow, Arizona is. I I'm not <laughs> even sure. Actually, I believe it's north of Phoenix and. Uh, so, but I, I'm not 100% sure, quite honestly. Now that you played the song, right, I'll probably have to go look it. I'll probably have to go look it up. That sounds like a road trip, Howard. Well, uh, of course, you're an NFL expert. We're going to talk to you about the Super Bowl matchup and 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 all about that and Tom Brady. But um, because we're a 305 show, I wanted to get your take on the Dolphins in general and also this chase for Deshaun Watson. It seems like probably a third of the league and maybe more are trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. There was a story recently out of the Miami Herald where the Jets are the uh, front runners and the Dolphins are like in the second spot. So I guess my question is, where do you think Deshaun ends up is the million dollar question. And also, are you high on Tua? Um, What are your thoughts on how he did this year? I I know there's a lot of mixed opinion on Tua in a very short sample size, but Obviously, there's a reason he was drafted where he is. It doesn't mean it's automatic that the guy, that anybody drafted that high, much less a quarterback, is going to develop into a great player. I didn't see him a lot, but I did see him in person when they came and played the Arizona Cardinals. And I believe that was his second start. And I was pretty impressed by what he did in that game with his poise, getting rid of the ball, being able to move. And to me, you better have a team around you if you're going to be successful uh, as a quarterback. And so I think that's, that's the challenge for the Dolphins, no matter who their quarterback is uh, to have, you know, to have good, you know, have a good supporting cast. So do you, do you still try to improve and get better? I, I guess you can make a case 
for that. And I think there's no doubt that Deshaun Watson is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. But as good as he was with all the yards and all those things, that team won four games. Now, I'm, not, I'm not blaming it on him, but it just right. shows that no matter who you have at that position, you better have a good team. And that, that's why I react. I, I, I kind of react. I kind of go crazy all the time when people talk about quarterbacks and they say he won or he lost as if right. that quarterback is out there alone. It's just so crazy. And then I'll say this. I know I'm going to digress for a moment. Tom Brady in the second half on Sunday had a passer rating of 52.1, seven for 14 for 78 yards and three interceptions. And had the Buccaneers pass rush not dominated that game, especially in the fourth quarter, and the Packers came back to win, the narrative today and after the game would it be, well, I guess Tom Brady's washed up. Because how many times have people tried to bury him when he had a bad half or a bad game and the team lost? Oh, I guess this is it for Tom Brady. Instead, he's still being hailed as the greatest ever when the reality was as good a first half as he had if it wasn't for the defense dominating that Packers injured offensive line, then the outcome of this game probably would have been very different. No, I, and I want to bring in Navarro with his question here in a second, but I just to, to kind of reinforce your point, I always go back to the Mark Sanchez Jets on the early years of Rex Ryan. Uh, he turned out to be a pretty mediocre quarterback, and not my, that might be kind, but he had the number one run rush offense in the league, had a great defense. They had all the parts around him. I guess you can talk about Trent Dilfer with the Ravens. There's, there's more than one way to do this, and you're right. It, the quarterback gets too much credit and too much blame, but – Manny, what do you what do you got for our guest? Well, I mean, just kind of on the heels of that topic of the quarterback. I mean, Howard's out there in Arizona, where I think they were really the first team to to hit the panic button or the eject button on a first round pick yeah. quarterback, right? Just a couple of years ago with Josh Rosen, uh, and then drafting Kyler Murray. What was it? A year later or two years later? Uh, it seems like everybody in the NFL is kind of in panic mode because the Jets. I mean, you're, you're talking about them trading for. Uh, Deshaun Watson well they just drafted Sam Darnold a couple years ago um, right. this trend of just you know the quarterback position was one that people kind of invested in especially when, when you use the first round pick on a quarterback teams you know kind of let the length of that contract play out now it seems like we're in a different era in the NFL and I guess I just want to get Howard's thoughts on that do you think this is going to be the trend now where we're going to see quarterbacks traded we're going to see you know teams using multiple picks uh, maybe in back-to-back -back years to address the quarterback position. Yeah, we, we've seen that. I mean, we've seen it for a few years, and I think it definitely looks to be the trend. And to your point about the Cardinals, yes. You know, they drafted Josh Rosen 10th uh, overall. Uh, they had brought in Steve Wilkes to be the head coach, who totally changed the defense from a 3-4 to a 4-3, and they didn't have a lot of players that really fit uh, that defense. And they had essentially nobody – around Josh Rosen and David Johnson, they had a running back and he was hurt. And so they had a bad season. They fired Steve Wilkes after one year, brought in Cliff Kingsbury, I believe with the sole purpose of drafting uh, Kyler Murray. And, and that's, and that's in fact uh, what they did. So I think, yeah, we're going to keep seeing this. And it just slays me. Like I said, that everybody looks at it. And you know, what's funny too about it is that I call it collective amnesia every year. Cause all off season, people start talking about, well, this team has to improve its offensive line. They better improve that line. You know, the line was a real issue. And then when things start to break down on that offense, in many cases because of the offensive line, 
Does anybody talk about that during the season? No. Everybody's talking, oh, the play caller's not creative, and the quarterback is this, and, and all those things, and no one talks about the offensive line. And, and that's, if you don't have, aside from the receivers and the running game and all that, you better have that line. That was, I mean, everyone talks about how bad Carson Wentz was this year, this past season for the Eagles. They had, because of injuries, one of the worst seasons that any team has ever had on the offensive line with losing players like 13 different offensive line combinations. You can't have a successful offense with that. And yet everyone blames it on the quarterback. I mean, it's, it, it's incredible to me that people just can't see uh, what's going on. And I'll, I'll go back to that Packers game real quickly. Tom Brady, two of the interceptions in the fourth quarter when it was a one-score game, and the Packers went three and out on two successive possessions where there was a sack by Shaq Barrett on each of them. And that they had lost David Bakhtiari, their all-pro left tackle, a few weeks ago, and they ended up having to weaken two positions because they moved the right tackle, the left tackle, brought a, a guy off the bench to right tackle, and those guys could not block consistently Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul on on Sunday and that was the reason the Packers lost not because Matt LaFleur made the decision he made on fourth and goal from the eight-yard line and I'll say this looking ahead to the Super Bowl the Chiefs lost Eric Fisher their left tackle in this game Sunday they lost Mitchell Schwartz their right tackle earlier in the season they're going to be going up against Barrett and, and, and Pierre Paul in this Super Bowl. And if they don't find an answer to those guys, the Chiefs are going to have some issues in that game. Great point, Howard. And, and that's, that's pretty much inside football there. You're right. The quarterback gets way too much credit, probably way sometimes as well. But just from a, from a human interest uh, standpoint, Howard, I wonder what you thought of just the story of Brady, obviously, um, at his age, but beyond that, you, the, the, the cameras captured him going into the stands, uh, asking the security guard, can I hug my son, his 13-year-old son? That was a, a beautiful moment. And then it was, um, the story I was reading, it was revealed that his parents were really badly sick, especially his father hospitalized, was hospitalized rather with it. Just what this guy's done to leave New England, leave Belichick, you know, have his parents, his father, nearly deathly ill and for him to to persevere and focus and 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 there was a lot of stuff with with his head coach also um just from a human angle like what can you say about what tom has accomplished this year amongst everything he's accomplished his whole career oh no it's an, it is amazing uh, there's no question about it and he uh, he obviously was a guy who held everybody else accountable on that team and he, you know, the, you know, they were seven and five at one point, and you're wondering how are they going to finish the season? And obviously, they finished it strong. And but you know, the other thing is, he let's be let's be real about this. He wouldn't he wouldn't have gone there if they didn't have those players like Chris Godwin right. and like Mike Evans and like Cameron Brait at tight end. They also had Ronald Jones at running back. He ends up getting, you know, banged up and missing time. And all of a sudden, Leonard Fournette looked like a rejuvenated player uh, coming down the stretch. And that was a big not, part not. of what they had. So they have the supporting cast. They protect. I, I, the big question I had with Brady all along going into the season is with, with, with trying to get the ball down the field with the guys that they have the capability of doing, 
it wasn't as much about Brady getting the ball to him as was the, could the offensive line protect him. And they did. Uh, they did an excellent job uh, with that. And that created what the Buccaneers were able to do. And obviously Brady, Brady's a big part of it, but that supporting cast was a huge, huge aspect. And I think that was one of the, re- that was one of the reasons why he was looking to leave New England. Because all we had there last year was Julian Edelman and, and a whole bunch of other you know guys that it was up to him to try to make better. Here he didn't have he didn't have to you know uh, you know make other guys better. They were already uh, very good. Then they added Antonio Brown to the mix, who helped them down the stretch also, and added Gronkowski. And all of a sudden they have quality players on that offense. Nobody wins without quality players. That's a reality that seems to be forgotten many times. Hey, Howard, I want to ask you about this uh, upcoming NFL draft because obviously there, there's some really good players in it. And, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, it's, it's sort of a foregone conclusion that he's going to be in, in Jacksonville. But if you had the second pick, if you were the Jets or the Dolphins with those next two picks, what would you do in their shoes? Great question. If I was the G- yeah, if, if I was the Jets, and, and you mentioned Sam Darnold uh, earlier, and he's one of those guys that I believe with the right coaching and the right players around him can be a good quarterback. And you've invested in him. You've, he's played. Now, I know it's a new coaching staff and all those things. Well, use that second pick to help your team get better. Maybe there's someone who wants to trade up uh, to get the kid from BYU. Maybe there's someone who wants to trade up for a tackle. Although, you know, we'll see who, the, who, you know, who emerges as the best offensive lineman from the group. You know, we saw, we saw four tackles you know, drafted in the first, in the first, what it was, the 12, 13 picks this last season. And that was a big thing the Buccaneers did too, by the way, uh, with uh, mm-hmm. trading up to get the last tackle off the board. And he really helped them uh, this year on that offensive line. So that could be something the Jets do if they stay there, if they think that the top tackle is good enough, or just turn that pick into other picks with somebody else who wants to come up and get maybe a quarterback or, or get some other player. They've got, you know, add as much draft capital as you can and and go from there if if they would trade for sean uh, deshaun watson i guess they would uh, obviously they'd have to trade sam darnold i don't know what you would get for him you'd you'd certainly have to give up a whole lot to get deshaun watson and then you wonder are they going to um you know affect themselves you know going forward when they don't have draft picks and that that's that's a big big philosophy question that they have to answer themselves and I guess right. the, the Dolphins with the third pick, just as a follow, uh, you know, obviously you got to wait to see what the Jets do, but they're in a position where, you know, obviously people down here have been complaining and others saying, well, maybe two is not the answer. Um, but I, I guess, how do you feel about two and what would you do with that third pick? Uh, if you're the Dolphins, do you, do you go and get them a, a star receiver? Do you, or maybe do you invest in, a, in an offensive tackle like Vanessa? Uh, Sewell? Yeah, I, I think th- those things are all possible. And mm-hmm. you basically, you know, take the best player, and I know they have some other, a, a bunch of other picks that they can use to improve this team, you know, around them. And I mean, it's still, you know, obviously it's still a team that won ten games, and I know that certainly Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, was a big was a big part of that. But mm-hmm. it all comes down to what they believe, truly believe about Tua. You know, do they think that he is the guy that they want to build around for the next decade plus, or do they believe that they can get? Uh, that, that they can get someone better. Well, you know, a lot of times you can always get maybe someone better, but there's never a guarantee. And what does it do to your team if you just, you know, keep keep changing at that position? So I I, I would think 
Now, I, I, again, if you can get to Sean Watson, I don't think anybody would be upset with that. But, again, what do you have to give up uh, to get him? And then you still better have the players around him that uh, that will make him successful. Now, I know he didn't have – you know, they traded DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, the Texans did, and they weren't as good around him last year, this past season, and he still put up uh, pretty phenomenal numbers. So the, the guy's ultra-talented, obviously. And so I, I could understand if they did that as long as they don't jeopardize all the other things they're trying to build. All right, Howard. Hey, great to catch up with you. Great insight. Uh, appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Have a good one. All right. All right. We'll be back with Paul Giuffi right after this. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Yo, this is K9, and you're listening to Slam Radio Series 6M145. And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Series XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, welcome back to Front Page 305. That's Return to Sender, Elvis Presley. The song is about a million years old, but that's fitting because our next guest is also a million years old. The great Paul Giuffi, <laughs> his only mailman slash sports writer. Paulie, welcome to the front page, man. Thanks, man. You're playing my songs. That's my theme song. That's your theme song. Return to sender. The girl would no take Christmas your call tip. And, uh... No Christmas tip. Return to sender. That's it. You know, that's the, 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 what's going on in that song. The girl wouldn't uh, call Elvis back and kept sending her uh, her letters back. But uh, one thing a lot of people don't know, you're happily lovely, Miss Terry. But back in the early, I think the 1940s, you dated Angie Dickinson. Is that not right? Well, I like to keep that uh, a secret and also Raquel Welch. But come on now. Let's not let out all my all my secrets. <laughs> let all me put right, it this well, way. They, they dated me. <laughs> they dated you. They dated me, right? I love it. Polly. you're one of the hardest working dudes I know. I think you work about 60 hours a week, you told me, six days a week at the post office. And then at night, you're the primary guy covering the Florida Panthers home games for the Associated Press. You also cover a lot of uh, Dolphins and Marlins and, and helping out the guys there as a co-chaser when you do that type of work. Uh, man, you work super hard. And I know you've got a lot of great stories. So I, I want you to... You know, tell some of the behind the scenes when you've been at these games and, and, and tell, tell some of your stories. What's the, tell us the, your Dusty Baker story. I know that's a good one. Yeah, you know, the, the odd thing about, you know, becoming a sports writer in your 40s and not really playing high school football and, and, and uh, college football, obviously, or anything, is uh, the locker room. And, you know, <clears throat> I remember in high school at Cardinal Gibbons, you go into the locker room for phys ed and, you know, it's like one of the most awkward things you can ever have because everybody's getting dressed and you're just not used to that. So then you become a sports writer and you go into the locker room and you see all these players, many of whom you've seen on TV. And most of the time they're in various stages of undress. So it's a little bit weird walking up to somebody at their locker when they're putting on the clothing items and, and, and talk to them. So we were in the manager's office. I guess Dusty might have been managing the Giants at that time. He's managed a lot of teams. And I guess a group of us are in in there, and he's talking to us, and he's 
take, takes his shoes off and he's talking to us and we're asking questions. He takes his shirt off and then he takes his undershirt off. And then we're still asking some questions and he goes into a long answer about a relief pitcher or something. And he starts unbuckling his pants and I'm like, okay, that's going to be it right there. Then he takes his trousers down and he's standing there in his boxer shorts. And I'm like really awkward and everybody in there is kind of shifting. I don't remember if there were women in there or not. I don't think so. And then he reaches for his undershorts and I said, thought to myself, don't go there. Don't go there. Sure enough, down comes the underpants. And there you are interviewing Dusty Baker, stark naked. And, you know, you're obviously, it's like, it's like walking a tightrope. You don't look down. So you're just trying to look in his face and talk to him. But, I mean, really, dude, you can't wait till we leave to do that? So that was, you know, just a real awkward moment for me and I think for the other reporters there, too. Wow. I don't oh remember having any uh, any – in all the locker rooms I've been in, I don't remember any coaches getting butt naked in front of us, but uh, I, I can tell you there, there certainly are some interesting conversations and, and you, I'm sure you've had many in, in your time uh, covering sports, Paul, what, what's the most yes. interesting post-game conversation you've had with an athlete and I guess non-sports related subject, if, if there is such a thing. Well, most of the time they, they basically want you to stick to the topic I know I've, uh, being uh, ancient as I am, back, I don't know if most sports fans, baseball fans know this, but the Pittsburgh Pirates used to have a really good team back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, I would once in a while see some of the old timers from the old Pirates of the 60s, and we'd talk about the old days and, and just, uh, you know, a little bit of anecdotes from back in the day, most of it baseball related and talking about the about the new uh, stadium in Pittsburgh and so on. But usually they kind of want to pretty much, you know, stick to the topic of sports. You're kind of cautioned, as you know, not to really go off topic too much. I have talked to um, Christian Leitner when he played for the Heat. Uh, his, uh, he was uh, a student of my brother, Gary, who is a professor at Duke University. So mm-hmm. after uh, Christian got done talking, I asked him if he knew my brother. And he goes, oh, of course I did. And, and, and we had a nice little talk about that. And, and, and my uncle actually baptized him in Buffalo when he was a baby. That's another story. But, wow. you know, so that, sometimes you can go non, you know, non-sports related. Yeah, my uncle Lou, Lou Delaneve was his name. You can go non-sports, but honestly, most of the time, you, you, you pretty much stick with the sports. Although I've man, had man, some that's, pretty... That's, that's not what Paulie that's... does. Paulie's in there, get a couple quotes, run it back upstairs. He's not getting into long philosophical conversations with these boys. And by the way, Paul's brother, the Duke professor, definitely got the brains in the family. We can we can agree on that, right, Paul? Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Because I'm like, you know, he's a, he's a Duke professor, but then like my good friend Santos Colon told me one time, he might be a professor at Duke, but did he ever interview Shaq? I go, good point. Good point. There you go. And, and one of the things I love about Paul's double life sports writer mailman, because in, in the, you know working for the post office, he's He's all the time sending photos of famous people he's run into just within the last few months. He tell a story, Paul. You ran into Antonio Brown one day and Roger Stone of Trump fame another day. Yeah, yeah. Well, Antonio Brown and and um, uh, uh, Stephon Diggs and uh, ha- Dwayne Haskins—they're all working out at Holiday Park here in Fort Lauderdale in August. And another mailman friend said, "Hey, man." 
Antonio Brown, the, the, the former Steeler, he's here at Holiday Park. I said, well, did you talk to him? He goes, no, no, man, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to those guys. Oh, and Chad uh, Ochocinco was there. And so I just pull up in the mail truck, and I get out. And being that you meet these guys in professional capacity, you're kind of comfortable talking to them. I just walk up and say, A.B., and gave him a fist bump. And I told him who I was and that, and that, that I covered him when he was with the Steelers and so on. And took pictures with me. And then, of course, all these people start coming out of the bushes, you know, hey, take my picture, take my picture. But, uh, yeah, you just they were just having a workout. But generally, if you approach them, you know, in a polite way, they're real uh, open to you. But having the mailman uniform on doesn't hurt. At least they know who you are. I, I see Wes Welker at the Galleria Mall. I've talked to him several times. Uh, as he's walking by, and, and, and some of the old Marlins, Juan Pierre, I see him in the mall. You get to know him by their nickname, so you say, hey, JP, and they know that you kind of know them. And uh, I don't know, it's just interesting. And then I take pictures, and being as shy and coy as I am, I plaster them all over Facebook as soon as I get them so that every, everybody, everybody can see them. But, yeah, I was in Publix a couple weeks ago, and I saw that Roger Stone and I'm not a Trump fan by any means. Anybody that knows me knows that. But I did approach him and I asked if you were you Roger, and he said yeah. And he we had a little conversation. So I was going to take a picture just to show my son, and he was polite. I told him uh, when I left, I'm not a Trump fan, but I approached him, so I wasn't going to be rude to him. And he gave me a fist right. bump, and that was it. A lot of fist bumping going on lately with the COVID. With COVID and um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's fun. It's fun. I have a little background in that being a mailman in Hollywood, California for a year back in the seventies. So I did see a lot of movie stars and TV stars and, 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 and was, was schooled by my fellow mailman, how you approach famous people when you deliver their mail. And so I was kind of used to dealing with them and, and the way you handle them and, 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 and so on. And then they're pretty receptive when you, when you treat them, but not like you're a gushing fan, but just like you're another person. Um, Walter, you had mentioned uh, how how Paul basically has been with you with the Panthers, but do you want to go over, I guess, where you guys first met? Uh, well, I mean, at the at the games, I think it might have been at a Marlins game, and I was I usually sit next to the great Steve Wine from the Associated Press, and then since at the Marlins games, Paul is sits you know right next to Steve because he chases quotes for him. And so we just got to talking and we just, we just hit it off. Like, like we've known each other for a million years. And one of the funny stories about Paul is that like when I chase quotes, I'm usually writing my own stories, but sometimes I'll double up and Steve needs me to chase quotes and I'll do it. But like, I don't really like, let's say there's a fan that gets hit with a ball or something like that. And Steve would want me to go. I don't have time to go chase this guy down. Whoever got, you know, just some fan story and go into the stands. And it's going to take me like two hours as I'm going to, sort of lose track of what I'm doing uh, because I have other stories to write, but Paul kind of loves that stuff. Like Steve will ask him, Hey, uh, there was some fan that was eating a hot dog with his right hand and caught the foul ball with his left. And you go chasing down and get a quote and like Paul will do it. And he'll show up seven innings later and it's, Oh yeah, I ran into the kid and I used to know his brother and you know, he <laughs> loves, he's just a people person, man. And he loves that stuff. But I want to get into uh, how many, how much time we just got a few moments left or five minutes, maybe. But, Paulie, tell your Bill Belichick story. And I know that's your favorite story. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Well, before I get into the Belichick let me set it up, Paulie. And that is that actually, Manny, Paul was on the – he made national news because a lot of the Boston media, they seem to be afraid of Belichick. Mm -hmm. And 
Paulie was assigned to go to the visitors' locker room Dolphins Patriots game, and he was he was there, and he was apparently asking what they thought was tough questions. I thought they were pretty normal of right. Belichick, and it was it was it got a little bit contentious. It made national news. Go ahead, take it from there, Paul. Well, you know, I, I go in there and I see the beat writers and Dan Shaughnessy and Ben Volan and all them. They're kind of looking at their feet when Belichick's out there. I know they have to kind of treat him with kid gloves. So I always ask the first questions of Belichick when the Patriots come to town. So they had played the Dolphins and uh, they lost. And the next week they had the Steelers. I'm a huge Steelers fan. And so I wanted to gig him a little bit. So I said to uh, Belichick, the first question, I said, uh, Hey, uh, Coach, do you think maybe some of your guys were looking past the Dolphins to the big game with the Steelers next week? And he gave me the death stare. The death stare. (laughs) Stared right at me. Now there's like 75 people in the room. I look back to my cohort, Tim Reynolds, who was enjoying me twisting in the wind. Somebody bailed me out with a snappy follow-up. And he just glared at me, looked away, glared at me. I guess this went on for like 30, 40 seconds. And then he kind of mumbled give me a break. And then, and then he said, anybody got any questions about the game? I go, yeah, you're all for 11 on third down and no response. And then, and then the next question came and, and so it made this the, the national wait, news. Wait, wait, the guys, what did, he say? what did he, what did he say when you, when you asked your old for 11 for third down, what did he say to that? No response. They said in the transcript, nothing. And it went all over the internet under the headline, Belichick's salty response. And it said, how'd you like to be this guy? Asked Bill Belichick a tough question after a loss. And, you know, he, he just glared at me like, like, you know, if he could have killed me, he would. And everybody stunned silence in the room. I'm like, thanks a lot, my fellow colleagues. They just left me out there to hang me out there to dry. Wasn't well, that's the my headline Belichick. In New York Times, Paulie, wasn't the headline in New York Times, handsome reporter grills uh, cr- crusty old Bill Belichick, wasn't the headline <laughs> Exactly. A reporter with movie star looks embarrasses curmudgeonly Patriots coach. I think it was something like that. <laughs> wow. You know, Danny, uh, Paul, as you mentioned, the big, you know, he's born in Pittsburgh. And I tease him all the time because uh, they didn't teach him how to speak English. He says Washington instead of Washington. I don't know. That, uh, it is Washington. Uh, it is Washington. It is Washington. And you feel and you peel an orange. <laughs> yeah. Yen's don't know how to talk down here. Yeah, he's a huge Steelers fan, but can we, I wonder, Navarro, can we get Jereffi to now admit that Tom Brady is the GOAT? I think he's won like five more Super Bowls than Ben Roethlis. He's been accused of than Ben. I mean, can you now admit that, uh, that you'd rather have Brady than Ben? I think I'd rather have Brady than Ben, but let's not forget about Terry Bradshaw. But, you know, he could have won some more Super Bowls if they made a couple of those uh, playoff games. But, no, there's no doubt about Brady. Let me just fill in a really quick Steelers story. When the Steelers were here, Steve Wine sent me down to cover the Steelers' locker room after the Dolphin game. I was stayed in there so long that the guy finally told me, the PR guy said, listen, dude, we're getting on the bus. I came back with quotes from 14 different players. Steve said, I need the coach and the quarterback. That's all I need. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I milked it all the way out. Stayed That's in there as long nice. as I could. That, that is great. Well, you, that, I would have gotten on the bus story. with them if I could have. Yeah. <laughs> Did you yep. talk to Ben that day? 
Uh, yeah, I asked him, I said, uh, how's your shoulder? And he goes, ask coach. So that was my Ben Roethlisberger interview. Ask coach. And he wasn't uh, really going to tell me. It's like my famous Barry Bonds interview. When I waited 20 minutes for him to come out of the shower, he go to the locker room. I walk up to him. I go, Barry, you got a second? He says, no, and walks away. Oh, that was my Bonds interview. So I've talked to some of the best. <laughs> I need you to go ask Manny Diaz why Blake Baker's still on the staff. Oh, Why who? Paulie's not a big Paulie's not a big Hurricanes guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, yeah. We're out of time, man. How, how did you like your first appearance on uh, on Sirius XM Front Page Bureau Five Radio Show? Awesome. I, I got a lot more stories. I'm not ready to go yet. I got some time. No. <laughs> I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I hope it was okay. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting the uh, the, the cutthroat uh, signal from my producer Frankie Fernandez. Okay. We're gonna Cut. have to let you go. Polly, we'll okay. have you on another time. Manny, uh, thanks for coming on with me in, in place of uh, Andre Fernandez. I, I hope you enjoyed your uh, your stay one, one, one day only. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on, brother. All right. We'll be back okay, next guys. week with Front Page 305. The views and opinions expressed on Front Page 305 are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.